If you could imagine a perfect church, what would it be? Imagine for a second, what is it that, that you would want in that church? What are the qualities? What are the characteristics? What does it look like? What does it sound like? What are the, the parts that make it up? Kind of get that image in your head. And then let me rephrase the question just a little bit. What kind of church did the eternal Son of God empty himself of glory, come to our world, take on our flesh, walked our paths, dealt with our troubles, lived and died and resurrected to create? Is that the same vision? Is that the same understanding of, of what church is? Is that the, the image that you had in mind, or does it reframe kind of what you were thinking about the church? Sometimes there's a difference between what we say something uh, a perfect church would be, and then we th when we think in terms of, of God's perspective, and we're like, well, all right, maybe that's not quite as important. Churches spend a lot of times talking about a whole host of things. Narthexes, entryways, uh, coffee, uh, social hours, uh, the carpeting, placement of the communion table. There was actually a brief discussion of the communion table when I suggested that the Legos go on the communion table, and, and the look that Pastor Dina gave me was, you need to think again. <laughs> You know, we, we think about a whole lot of things, uh, and I've had to go through some of those discussions. As you may know, my, my last call, I helped merge four congregations into one, and the amount of time we spent on paint color was mind-numbing, but it was important. And we have to ask ourselves, though, are these the things, are, are these the concepts for which Jesus came and lived and died. What is the purpose? What is the shape? What is the, the quality of the church that he came to create, that he came to make blameless and holy? That's what we are going to explore. Over the past several months, our session, our elders, have been working on the mission of the church. It's really a good thing, to, a good process to go through at, at different inflection points. And we've had, uh, we've had a, in our recent history, some, some reason to come back and say, wait a minute, who are we again? Whenever there's turbulence, whenever there's difficulty, you know, if you happen to lose a pastor and have a global pandemic, which we had both of. I remember when I talked to Lynn Moran uh, probably just about a year ago, and she said uh, that uh, Jim would have kept going, that he loved the church. And yet, through external circumstances now, we have gone through quite a bit of turbulence. Hopefully, we come out of it stronger on this side. And I keep reminding the, the people, uh, the Kimmy and, and Pastor Dina and Peggy in the office, just remember, out of all the candidates, this was the best you got. <laughs> it's a sad day. <laughs> but 
right now is a good time for us to start talking about that. And our elders have gone through it and have searched the scriptures and we've prayed together and we've talked about the mission of the church. And so we're going to come today and we're going to start to unfold that vision for the future. Um, and we're going to do that over the next 14 weeks, including this week, uh, before summer. And we're going to talk about the different aspects of that. Who is it that God is calling us to be here in 2023 and beyond at this part of Rochester Road in Cranberry Township, PA? Who are we called to be and how can we live out the mission of Jesus Christ in this place? And we're going to open today with a vision of the early church. We're going to open to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and get that open. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And let me suggest, if you hold on to nothing else, that the Christian life is a way of being and not a task to be done. So the Christian life is a way of being and not a task to be done. That's, that's going to permeate what we talk about here in the next few minutes. So, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Uh, hear God's word as I share it with you. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is God's word to us today. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks for your word. We give you thanks that that through it, you give our lives purpose and direction. We rejoice at the, at the fact that you give us new life in Christ, and then further that you give us direction in that life. You don't let us stumble and, and stray to figure it out, but you are with us guiding and directing our steps. Lord, help us during this time to hear your word, to hear how it applies to our lives and to be strengthened by it so that we may be your ambassadors. We give you thanks. I pray that, that the words of my mouth and the, and the meditations of all of our hearts would be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. This is a, a fascinating little passage. It gives us a, a glimpse into the life of the early church. And there's quite a bit packed into these five verses here. Uh, quite a bit that we can see and that gives us an idyllic vision. But we're going dis to distill this, and I'm, we're going to distill it down into three main points. And um, Brooks, I don't know if you have the, the uh, there we go. After prayer and consideration, we have kept our mission statement intact, but we have gone to a, a, a smaller mission tagline with three values. 
that as a people we are called to expand Christ's community through worship, discipleship, and relationship. One of the things about a, a mission statement, our, our full mission statement is intact. But what's very interesting is, uh, ask any session member, I have been asking at every meeting, what's the mission of the church? Yeah, that was their response. <laughs> we went through this process and we talked about, uh, and we came to this idea, and uh, it's funny, the next meeting afterwards, I said, what's our mission? And everyone could say, expanding Christ's community. We, kind of, we start to understand where we're headed, and like the kids with the Legos, if we don't understand where we are going, then mercy, this is not going to be a pleasure cruise. It's going to be difficult. And at the end of it, will we have done what we are called as the people of God to do? We first and foremost want to be concerned with the things of God. And so today I want to talk about the early church and, and in particular the three values that you saw there, relationship, discipleship, and worship. First of all, relationship. Who are your people? Very interesting, when, we, when Katie and I moved to uh, New England, however many years ago, I can't do the math now on, on this, it's somewhere between 0 and 17 years. Um, but when we moved to New England, we remember very distinctly the first time that we met a New Englander, and we had no idea what they said. His name was Peter, or Peter, and, and we eventually became friends, and I eventually learned how to translate New England into English. But when we moved there, you know, the thought is, oh, my word, Toto, we're not in Kansas anymore. These are not our people. But it was very interesting. Over the, the five and a half years we lived in New England, more and more they became our people. In fact, I got a text from one of my friends from New England uh, just last night. Uh, uh, he lives in Nashville now. And we can joke about and and even some of the native New Englanders who would say, oh, wait a minute, I can't remember, are you from here? Now, to have a New Englander say that, they know if your family has just moved there within the past 400 years. <laughs> who are your people? Relationships are important. If you, if you were listening in the, the Scripture, if you saw what was happening, there are relationships all over this passage. These are people who who were devoted to one another, who were devoted to, uh, first of all, the, the, the apostles' teachings, but they, they met together. They, they were in each other's homes. They broke bread together. They ate together. They shared worship together. They shared life together. They knew what was going on. They were bound together by the Holy Spirit. They had a bond that was stronger than, what, than anything they had experienced previously. But it was within these bonds of relationship that the community of God flourished. That they were able to come together, that they were able to overcome difficulties. In fact, if you read further, some, some troubles brew, but they're able to come, they're able to overcome them because of their life together. We see the disciples together with their leaders, and they love one another. They have fellowship. Now, 
if my mentor were here, he would talk about the fact that he grew up in a Presbyterian church. He's the son of a Presbyterian minister, uh, Jim Singleton. He would say, in our tribe, the, the Presbyterian tribe, fellowship is where two or three cookies are gathered together. But that's not what fellowship is in here. There's no mention. There's nothing in the Greek about cookies. I, I, I'm sorry to tell you this. But fellowship is their shared life together in Christ. Their shared life with one another. The fact that they were able to, to be with one another, to open up their lives with one another. It was something that allowed them to have bonds. And so they were able to be a united community with one another. One of the most common phrases in the New Testament is one another. So many verses talk about how we are to strengthen one another, bear one another's burdens, pray for one another. And here, this early community, without without instruction save for the apostles, without, you know, the traditions of almost 2,000 years of the church did this organically as a response to the good news about Jesus being Lord, Messiah, and Savior. They have relationship with one another. They, they are genuinely concerned about the welfare of one another. You know, in verse 44, where it says that all the believers were together, that's not a, a, a location statement. That's not a, a, a word that would be used for, for physical location, but it is there together in heart and mind. That's a difficult, that's a difficult concept right now. We live in a in a divided age. We live in an age where friendships, uh, when I was in Illinois, one of the clergy gatherings, I remember people saying, because we were going through the, the um, pandemic at the time, and the clergy were saying, I don't know what to do. People who have been lifelong friends, people who have been, been friends since they were in high school and are now 70 years old and 75 years old and 80 years old, they are, those relationships are breaking apart because of what's happening. And I don't know what to do. And we do. We find so many things that will divide us. And in the era of, of when everyone was going to church, that era of Christendom, that's what that's called, you know, we, we made ourselves distinct by, by contrasting ourselves with other groups. Well, we're Presbyterians. We're, we're not the Baptists or the Lutherans or, or the Catholics. That doesn't work. We are not a people who is defined by our differences from one another. We are a people who are defined and held together in our relationships by the, the, the head of the church, Jesus Christ. And our relationships should reflect that. Whether we are you know, whether we grew up Presbyterian, whether we grew up Catholic, whether we grew up without a faith background. If we are in Christ, then we are united together. And our relationship should reflect that unity in Christ. 
They broke bread in their homes. They spent time with one another without kind of ulterior motives. If you wondered, you know, and this is a phrase that kind of passes over our our minds, and and I didn't think about this until I was doing some of the research this week. Uh, They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And I thought, I just had to think about that. Well, how do I eat with a sincere heart? I don't know that I've ever not eaten sincerely. But looking into that word, that, that word actually means simple, which con- conveys the idea that they ate together without ulter- ulterior motives. They ate together without any duplicity in their hearts. To be together because they wanted to be together and, and not because they were going to get something out of it. Save for the food and the fellowship that is together that is in that place. Are we a church that has glad and sincere or simple hearts when we are with one another? And that's something we need to talk about because every church deals with this. And in an age where we are so divided, what a gift to be to the community, to be united in Christ, where the bonds of our love show the simplicity of our love, and we're able to say, come on, be a part of it. There's room for you as well. So relationship, we're going to unfold relationship over the next several weeks. But then discipleship is the second value that we want to talk about here, and, and, and we want to, I want to ask this question, what is something that you cannot wait to do? What is something that you just, you think about and you're like, all right, only, only five more days, only four more hours, only, only two more minutes. Do you have a favorite TV show on Netflix that Netflix has to ask you, are you still watching? Can you work on woodworking or sewing or scrapbooking and totally lose track of time? How did three hours pass? Notice that first verse there in 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Again, not cookies. But they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. These are people who were enthralled by the life-giving message of Jesus Christ. They were captivated by it. They could hear it over and over again. This is not something I could imagine if kind of read our situation back into it. And could you imagine, you know, the early disciples or the early believers going, you know, who's preaching this week? Peter's all right. John's a bit dry. Luke goes on forever. (laughs) If Luke's preaching, I'm not going. (laughs) It's funny until we realize, oh, that's us. That's us. And yet the people there were so enthralled by the fact and so captivated by the fact that Jesus Christ came from his seat in glory to live and to die so that our relationship with God could be restored and we can have life and purpose and meaning and we don't have to create it ourselves. Hallelujah. Does the story of Jesus captivate us? 
Are we devoted mind, body, and soul to the words of Jesus and to the message of the gospel? The early church was captivated by Jesus. Just couldn't get enough of his message. That's discipleship. Loving and following Jesus and helping others to do the same. And, and that's one of the, the key works of the, of the early church. You know, notice that we're not talking about the what. We're not talking about the structure of their work, worship services. We're not talking about uh, what their committees were. Because for God so loved the world, he didn't send a committee. But we are talking about what they are enthralled with. They were talking about what they are in love with. They love one another. They love the word of God. And they loved worshiping God. Who gets the glory when you do something right? So often we want to, we want to, we get done with a, a hard project. I, so we have Japanese knotweed in our, in our um, flower beds. If you don't know, that's an invasive species. It grows like that. In fact, if you look it up, it can grow six inches a day. And it just kind of takes everything over. And as Cameron and I would wait for the bus in the morning, I would pull knotweed. And bit by bit, I was recovering this. And I was oh, I'm doing well here. Who gets the glory when you do something right? So proud of myself. And yet, so easy to forget the God who gives me strength who causes the, the sun to rise in the east and set in the west and sends the rain on the just and the unjust. Are we people who, who are so captivated by the love of Jesus that worship overflows? They, they met together in the temple courts, praising God and enjoying the favor of the people. Remember, this is right after not that far from Jesus' execution. And yet, the quality of their relationships, their devotion to the apostles' teaching, and the worship they offered sent a message to the people in the community around that there was something different, there was something special. They offered their worship to God. Where do we offer our worship? Who gets the glory? when we do something right. As we go about this summer, we're going to talk about these three things. We're going to talk about relationship, we're going to talk about discipleship, and we're going to talk about worship and what that means in expanding Christ's kingdom. And how it, Christ's kingdom can be expanded within ourselves and then to the surrounding areas. But we can only do this by looking back at the scriptures, looking at the early church, so that we can look forward for what God has for us now. What we see in these six verses is a picture of a church that places the gospel first, the word of God. They tend their relationships, they deepen their discipleship, and they overflow in worship. It seems like such an easy thing, doesn't it? 
And as I thought about it, I was reminded of a movie quote, that the more we overthink the plumbing, the easier it is to just stop up the drain. And so hopefully in this vision, we will be recovering the simplicity of the gospel, the ancient call of the gospel to live lives of discipleship, worship, and relationship to God and to one another with Jesus Christ as our head and the Spirit empowering us. That's where we're headed. May God open our eyes to the work and to the wonder that he has for us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we give you thanks because you came and, and you walked our earth, you, you ate and you drank with us and you showed us that we could have a new way of life that we do not have to earn our salvation. We don't have to earn our standing before you because you have earned that for us. Through your death and resurrection, we are aware of your grace. And we have a new life with you. So help us to understand what that means and help us to live lives that, that overflow in joy, in love, in peace, in generosity, in response to you, Jesus. Help us to look deeply into the gospel so that we might be deeply transformed by your life. And when that gets difficult, give us strength. Remind us of your sufferings and the fact that you have promised to always be with us. We give you thanks. We offer all this in your name. Amen.